And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's universe at that busy intersection we meet at each week where faith and reason collide and uh, life makes sense. <laughs> I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper here. And of course, you email your questions to Spitzer's universe EW10.com. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, the Magis Center one, Credible Catholic, Purposeful Universe as well. And of course, uh, our program is always available on the EW10 On Demand page and on our YouTube channel. We have tens of thousands of videos on our YouTube channel and thousands of videos on our On Demand page. Just posted to our On Demand page is a very powerful program, Transgender Movement, What Catholics Need to Know with Mary Hassan. Powerful five-part miniseries reveals the hidden cultural forces behind the gender-affirming campaign presently sweeping the nation and how the church can and should respond. Uh, something you should see. Be careful. It's not for young people, so check that out. And speaking of things not for young people, Satan appears as an angel of light. You bet he does. That's a section we're talking about from Christ versus Satan in our daily lives. Father's book, of course, that's available through EW10's religious catalog. You better pick it up if you haven't already between now and Christmas because he's got another book coming out in November as well. And the book of the month for October, Catechism of the Spiritual Life by Robert Cardinal Seurat, an excellent cardinal out of Rome. And of course, pick that up. We're proudly published by EWTN. And of course, now we turn to our own uh, fellow out on the West Coast there. Uh, to, to, to lead us in prayer. Before we do that, I just wanted to mention that uh, all of us at EW10 lost a friend when Father uh, John Horgan died about a week or so ago. He's a Canadian priest. There's a wonderful picture of him. He was on our board in Canada and appeared with Mother Angelica several times over the years and uh, hosted a couple of series, especially on Saints for Today and Angels of God. And his voice can still be heard on the network. He had a great voice and he was a really great great priest. So we want to honor him and if you lead us in prayer uh, in memory of him as well. You bet, uh, Doug. And let us begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us. The blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. Please bless also uh, Father John Horrigan uh, in your kingdom and uh, bring him to the, the blessing and the joy that he deserves through the service he gave to your church. Through Jesus our Lord, amen. amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray amen. for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Okay, and remember Father Horrigan. A couple of uh, things in the news, not that there's not quite a few things in the news. Uh, <laughs> one thing uh, recently, a uh, tweet that was recently put out by uh, the President of the United States, who uh, maintains himself as a Catholic, indicates if we elect two more Democratic senators <laughs> and keep control of the House, here is my promise to the American people. The first bill I will send to Congress will be to codify Roe versus Wade. When passed, I will sign it in January, 50 years after Roe was decided the law of the land. So, interesting perspective from somebody who used to be pro-life years ago and now is seems to be totally pro-abortion, so. 
Yeah, well, it certainly is a, a significant departure from the teaching of the Catholic Church. I, uh, the idea of doubling, tripling down on his abortion proposition, by the way, without any restrictions whatsoever, um, and uh, convincing other people to go along with the movement and then trying to codify it. And by the way, it's not going to be just as easy as uh, President Biden uh, signing the executive order. <laughs> There's going to be uh, judicial challenges to that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with respect to uh, uh, the Senate uh, becoming uh, uh, pro, uh, remaining pro-abortion and, and the House remaining um, pro-abortion, I'm not so sure that uh, that prediction is, uh, is within the realm of possibility as I right. look at the current surveys. So I think uh, we probably may have some pro-life, uh, larger pro-life representation uh, in the um, in the House and the Senate going forward. Right on another issue, our our Catholic president also did an interview with a young man named Mulvaney, who uh, is a person who says he's been transitioning from male into female, or what he calls girlhood. So he sat down and did an interview uh -huh. with this this gentleman, and he and uh -huh. Mulvaney had asked him, "Do you think states should have a right to ban gender affirming health care?" And he says, I don't think any state yeah. or anybody should have this right to do that. It's a moral question as far as I'm concerned. And as legally, I just think it's wrong. He denounced the states as the president that passed bills outlawing gender-affirming treatments for minors, calling the actions immoral. No, no state should be able to do that in my view. He said, I feel very, very strongly that you should have every single solitary right, including the use of your gender identity bathrooms uh, including public bathrooms, he added as well. So, another interesting perspective uh, from our Catholic president. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, uh, of course, uh, Mr. Mulvaney's uh, uh, now uh, uh, transitioning. Mulvaney's uh, perspective is very interesting indeed. First mm -hmm. of all, uh, which uh, position is immoral? Mm -hmm. uh, is it uh, moral uh, to advocate something for a? Um, a preteen who doesn't even have a full development, maybe not even half development of the frontal uh, lobe, mm -hmm. frontal cortex, uh, are, you know, where the judgment is is uh, actually performed. Mm -hmm. Is it uh, moral to go ahead and allow this person to make a decision, which, by the way, it's there's about a 50 to 60 percent chance that they will severely regret, and about a 42 percent chance that they'll regret to the point of suicidality. Mm -hmm. uh, is it moral to allow that child to make that decision and be affirmed in that decision by parents when you know down the line that the anxieties mm -hmm. are going to recur because this is not a solution to the anxieties that they feel and that gender uh, transition is not the problem. The pro the, they feel it's a, a gender transition and gender identity problem, but in point of fact, their anxieties about their own sexuality, anxieties about um, you know the mother and the father in the house anxiety is about being abused in the past etc cetera, etc cetera, which if handled they will normally transition back to their biological sexuality so is it moral to go ahead and on false pretense uh, go ahead and counsel them to do something mm -hmm. which you know half of that population is not only going to regret but that 40% or so will even do so to the point of suicidality mm -hmm. great that's a really
only moral option. Uh, you know, if that's what you want to do and you're going to do anything you can, well, go to the state, you know, that, that, that'll permit it. But don't say that states don't have the right to ban this. Of course they have a right mm -hmm. to ban it because the moral issue is in the camp of being against transgenderism, not by being in favor of it because I think we're victimizing those young right. people and the more we counsel them to do something that they're going to regret later, even until the point of suicidality, I think that is really, really, when they don't even have, you know, you know, full frontal lobe capacity, you know, frontal uh, cortex capacity, that, right. this is ridiculous. So, I mean, uh, right. let's just find the moral perspective uh, and, and uh, pick that's, it up from the right place. Right, especially that, when we're talking you know, about the, minors yeah. here. I mean, that's especially onerous. Yeah, uh, that's I mean. that's the whole point, you know. Right. And, yeah, preteens. I mean, my gosh. Right. You call that moral? Wow. Right. Wow. And, and, and you call it immoral uh, to, to counsel them uh, to wait? Well, <laughs> you well know? we live in a world. Where, wasn't it predicted where good is evil and evil is good? I mean, we were we were told oh, yeah, that, yeah. that that world oh, yeah. was coming. So I think yeah. we're experiencing it here. And New it's speak. <laughs> and it's interesting too because <clears throat> other stories out there talk about that Europe rolls back gender care for kids. Uh, the European countries continue to scale back access to gender-affirming treatments and surgeries on minors. Last week, England's NHS, the National Hospital System, drafted new guidance saying it would be issuing stricter oversight on providing gender-affirming care to children with gender dysphoria. They go on to say in the actual report that, they, that it could be that many of these minors are actually experiencing a transient phase uh, in their development uh, and that exploring all developmentally appropriate options for children are showing signs of gender dysphoria, keeping in mind that this may be a transient phase and reporting that social transitioning should not be seen as a neutral act due to the impact it makes on a child's psychology. Yeah, I mean, that, this is exactly what I was just trying to say. Right. I mean, you have all these consequences going forward. You know that when the buyer's regret happens 10 years after the surgery, you know that uh, um, that population, you know, 40% of that population is going to um, uh, feel, uh, uh, you know, the desire for suicide uh, to end their problems. That The buyer's regret is so substantial in combination with the recurrent anxiety that uh, you've got this the highest population of suicidality, uh, practically speaking, in the nation. And uh, yet you, you think this is just counsel them right on in there, boys. Uh, you know, let's let's go ahead and do or, uh, and do that and, and have a, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a moral right. society. You know, um, anyway, I, I shouldn't get right. off on my, uh, you know, my my uh, podium here, my, uh, <laughs> my Your soapbox, soap but oh, okay. uh, I have to... Yeah, my soapbox is pretty, uh, I feel very strongly about this, and I think, right. uh, uh, you know, the Catholic Church is uh, right in the, the right uh, uh, area here in terms of the moral well, it's issue, unquestionably. Well, it's interesting, because you mentioned that. I was thinking, the other day I was talking, I was on the radio with uh, Teresa Tamia when we were talking a little bit about this issue, and it struck me that one of the yeah. things we've talked about on the show is that when somebody comes and thinks they're possessed or have some demonic thing going on in their life, yeah. we don't mm -hmm. do an exorcism right away. It's not the first thing we do, right? Yeah. We don't light the candles and start. Right. What we do is say we yeah. look at every <laughs> other natural reason why this exactly. person may be experiencing these difficulties. And it's only then after yeah. that exhaustive research and looking into that we decide to take that extraordinary step. You would think that would be the yeah. same thing that should be happening with these young people. 
Oh, yeah. Well, the Johns Hopkins study actually showed that the vast majority of those who did as preteens want um, uh, gender transition, right, th that the vast majority will return back if you give them any kind of uh, uh, help or any kind of, uh, uh, you know, therapeutic assistance to deal with their anxieties as preteens, mm -hmm. they'll return back to their biological identity. The vast, vast majority. We're talking about 80 percent of these kids, and most of them will do so naturally, even without. Mm -hmm therapy so I mean the, the the you know my thought is wow if that's really the case then the majority of these requests for gender transition are transient and I think that the British government at least is admitting this mm -hmm. instead of tripling down like President Biden Biden I mean this is this is ridiculous I mean uh, uh, there's just uh, you know there's so far you can go to uh, you know affirming a person before it actually becomes utterly destructive mm -hmm. to that person right uh, parents don't affirm Affirm their child's desire to run across and play in the street, right? Uh, you know, they because they know that that desire is going to be utterly destructive. Parents do this every single day, right? There are things you can't do because it will be utter, either destructive to you or destructive to mm -hmm. others. And they instruct them to do so. You don't affirm everything. You know the old Jesuit adage about debate. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you know, never deny, seldom affirm, always distinguish. Mm -hmm. Well, why seldom affirm? Because affirmations just to be nice are frequently wrong and frequently destructive so why would we affirm something mm -hmm. we know will have huge terrible suicidal consequences 10 years after the suggested remedy right because of that remedy and mm -hmm. we know that the actual disease most of it is transient in nature why would we do this I mean I, I think it, for the sake of of money but mm -hmm. for the sake of affirming, of being nice, is that the reason? We're going to have a culture of being nice. We want to affirm everybody who wants everything. Well, I think that's an ideal society if, if the consequences mm -hmm. weren't so destructive and weren't so contrary uh, to the biological nature of the child, which will be naturalistically, or with a little therapeutic help, will naturally be assumed uh, you know, back into the post-adolescence life. I, I just don't get it. I, I'm sitting here scratching my head. I tell you, there's got to be a lot of money in this. Uh, that, that's the only reason right. why we would be doing this. I think a lot of people are deluded into thinking that this is a way of affirming everybody in the culture, which is a very nice thing. But affirming all things is not. all mm -hmm. life, Affirming all lifestyles is not a good thing. Many, many lifestyles are terribly, terribly destructive to self and others. And so we just have to, uh, you know, people say, oh, pornography, just a victimless sin. Yeah, just look at the statistics. I could go right. through them with you right, right now. There's not a victimless sin. I mean, all of these so-called lines, you know, oh, you know, just affirm people and what they need and what they want. You know, it's a, you know, we're an open society. Well, you know, open society can be a very, very deadly society as we right. experience our culture devolving into greater and greater violence with each passing moment. I mean, look at the right. escalation in crime, the escalation uh, that we see in homicides, the escalation suicides, depression, anxiety among young people in particular. Right. I wonder why. I wonder, wonder why. So uh, anyway, I right. mean, the, the, the handwriting is no, on the wall. Well, we got to get back to a normal mm -hmm. morality. Right. We've got to get out of the virtual Sorry. world of the internet and like live yeah. in the real world, and and and, and yeah. a world that has consequences. The virtual world may not yeah. seem to have consequences. The real world actually does. I mean. Yeah. 
You know, they used to say in the yeah, old days, I, I don't know if it's true anymore, they used to say, well, they, you know, <clears throat> schools may grade on, you know, uh, a curve, but life doesn't. You know, so uh, yeah. when you're out there, <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't quite yeah. work that way. Yeah. So, so in, true. in following up on that, uh, Archbishop Shep Hugh, mm -hmm. uh, who's now retired, uh -huh. uh, gave a speech at the Eucharistic Symposium in Arlington and uh, raised some eyebrows when uh -huh. he said that he believed that uh, the present uh, President Joe Biden is not in communion with the Catholic faith and doesn't really believe he should be getting communion. He goes on also to point uh -huh. out, as part of this talk, American Catholics and our 200-year struggle to fit into mainstream American culture, we've succeeded, but in the process, we've been digested and bleached out by the culture rather than leavening it in a fertile way that's distinctive, distinctive Catholic witness. Goes on to say Biden supports abortion wow. despite the church's teaching that abortion is grave evil, uh, et cetera, and kind of what we talked about before. But that's part of the problem. Uh -huh. uh, you know, the, even with the positive intentions of Vatican II, was supposed to be we open up the windows and we're going to impact the world. Uh, but many people have seen that while that, some of that is true, there's also been seemingly an incredible impact on the church itself. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the reverse effect happened. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I agree with, the, uh, by the way, I think that was just a, a very eloquently stated mm -hmm. um, <laughs> statement of reality as, as we're seeing it in the Catholic Church today. Uh, much of the, uh, of the uh, secular ideology, uh, not just about sexuality and abortion, but about other things, is just drifting right into, the, the, you know, especially uh, materialism and, and mm -hmm. greed and, you know, ego comparative identity the world is just you know blasting uh, you know the you know the inside of the church it, mm -hmm. it, it's also affecting the clergy within the church and and so um, you know I'm, I'm touched by it every single day you, know, you can't just turn on the, the the computer and and you know just see everything that's being thrown at you uh, in all these things and not sort of get into that ego comparative modality uh, getting into that uh, uh, you know, and uh, you know, with, uh, into the what I might call mm -hmm. the uh, materialistic modality, uh, because it's you know it sells stuff, it, it, and they're going to just keep throwing it at you, throwing it at you, and, and eventually you you become numb to it, right. and then after you become numb to it, you start accepting the mentality that's behind it, and you just have to resist it. We just have to be countercultural, like those first-century Christians uh, were countercultural, and and if we don't remain vigilant mm -hmm. in our countercultural. Uh, nature, as as uh, uh, Bishop uh, Arch, uh, Bishop Pew said, uh, mm -hmm. we're going to basically wind up instead of leavening the culture, right. the, the the culture is going to whitewash Leaven. us, right. and it's just, just going to you know, and it already has whitewashed us, but it's going right. to continue to do it unless we, as Jesus said, right again and again, we got to resist, resist. We have to be vigilant and vigilant. We got to keep the enough oil in the flask. We've mm -hmm. got to keep you know going despite the fact that we're tired um, because uh, frankly if we don't do this I mean if we're a force of resistance that's mm -hmm. already a leavening effect within the culture right. so every little thing we do to push back every little thing we do with maybe just talking to our neighbors or to our friends or just in the workplace just you know without threatening your job getting you know mm -hmm. saying something that might just you know be you know personal witness well gee you know uh, you know, I'm a religious person. Right. I don't feel that way. You know, anything like that, 
you know, sometimes gets people thinking and gets, you know, people saying, well, you know, don't say that around Spitzer. You, don't, you know, he's kind of sensitive to the religious <laughs> type. But, you know, the point, of course, is, is you know, it, it works. It, it, mm -hmm. it really does tone down the problematic discourse, right. uh, not just, you know, like I said, on the sexual issues, the abortion right. issue, which I consider to be a killing issue, but also on the ego-comparative and materialistic issues as right. well. Right, and, and if you don't feel called to that, praying, praying for those people, praying for those people to have insight, yeah. whether it Absolutely. be the president or anybody else right. who you disagree with or you see is heading down the wrong yeah. path, pray for them to be enlightened. Uh, speaking of being enlightened, yeah. uh, surprise, surprise, uh, the math and reading uh -oh. scores collapsed uh, over the last two years uh, with uh, the yeah. COVID and with remote learning, especially yeah. not so the fourth grade took some hits, but the eighth grade really took some hits uh, between uh, yeah. math and reading uh, really collapsed. And uh, though there seems to be an attempt to try to say, well, there's no correlation between who was in school and not in school. They say that if you dig in deeper to the numbers, you can see where there is an improvement for the ones who went to school more often uh, or where the schools were open more. Even to a degree, the numbers for some of the Catholic Church's schools, because those tended to either remain open or open much quicker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, there's no doubt in my mind about it. Is anybody surprised? If you go to school, you're forced to focus. What's the one thing? You know, just think back when you were in the third or fourth grade, or even when you were in the seventh or eighth grade. You know, if you weren't in a class where the teacher was saying, you know, you know, uh, 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 Robert, what do you think? You know, or uh, Doug, what do you think? And and you were uh, uh, not, um, you know, kind of on the ball. Uh, you get called on the carpet, but. You know, the hardest thing for a fourth grader, or for that matter, a seventh or eighth grader to do is to focus on their own, to keep the focus on an academic subject without a teacher mm -hmm. or some kind of a social environment where there's an expectation, you know, that, uh, you know, your kind of reputation of having some intelligence is on the line. You know, you're, you're kind of forced to focus. That's going to help. There's no right. question about it. And I, I, I'm not surprised in the least. And anybody who tells you that uh, online learning Learning uh, on your own in, in your own environment, you know. I mean, if, if parents are essentially homeschooling their kids and helping mm -hmm. them to focus, great. But a lot of parents were not doing that at all. Right. I mean, the, a lot of parents were just sort of saying, "Well, now you know, get online and do this course and do your homework." And you know, are you doing your homework? And of course, I know what I would have said in the fourth grade. Oh yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> sort of doing my partial homework, you know, and right. scrolling well, out. I was of doing something else while I was doing something else at the same yeah. time. Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And besides, exactly. you're still dealing with the cartoons. Yeah, right. And you still had situations where people were still going to work if there was a situation like oh, yeah. that. And so the kid was totally reliant. One last story before we go yeah. uh, to our questions. Uh, it's been rectified, but for a period of time, YouTube shut down our EWTN Polish channel, uh, whose major uh, feature oh. is, is showing the, the uh, Eucharistic adoration from a chapel uh, you know, that was founded by a monastery founded by St. Maximilian Kolbe. It's up now, but this is, I think, at least the second time that it's been taken down. So, uh, you know, th th like we talked about YouTube uh, posting additional material on abortion on some of our material. So people need to realize that these, these people out there have agendas. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, uh, uh, let, you know, if we can maybe get some people into Congress and, and in the Senate, too, who really believe in religious liberty, uh, maybe some of those uh, uh, artificial restrictions against religion uh, mm -hmm. that are pretty now um, prolific in the, uh, in the new media world, the digital media right. world, um, may be relaxed. And, uh, and hopefully that'll be the case. And, uh, you know, I hope for it. I, you know, I think religious liberty is being constrained uh, from a variety of different vantage points, um, you know, by uh, mm -hmm. current uh, governmental practice, but also by mm -hmm. uh, the practice of the digital media firms. And right. um, uh, I think we have to pretty much start uh, opening the uh, the uh, religious uh, liberty uh, uh, issues up again, not just in right. the courts, but trying to get some legislation right. to protect uh, religious liberties, and we might especially see, by uh, carriers of social right. media. And there's been some alternates, and if Twitter changes how it does things, it may force others to be a little more open too because if there's competition and not quote unquote collusion uh, you know it's oh, harder yeah. for people uh, if everybody's doing it and there's no place else to go you're stuck but if there's other avenues yeah. around it in the capitalist system it forces people to compete uh, so we might see some yeah of that absolutely too, so. Okay. And that's why we've people got to watch EWTN. We're competitive. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're competing with Satan for souls. That's what we're, who we're competing with. You bet. And that's uh, your book. <laughs> that's absolutely <laughs> correct. So we've got a, a couple of questions for you. Uh, Dear Father sure. Spitzer, our country and politicians get very upset and rightly so when children uh, are killed. How, does, how old does a child have to be for it to be considered murder? So many people are pushing for unrestricted abortion up to the moment of birth and some even after birth. How can a woman carry a child to full term and have it killed? It seems for some that it's easier to murder a child than it is to give it up for adoption. And I think this person also was writing from Texas and, and was referring to the horrible you know, shootings there and how upset people got over those poor children being killed. But why don't they see the same connection to these other children too? Well, I agree, and surely it was horrible seeing those children killed and, and even threatened, um, you know, and so I, I, you know, you look at that and you go, oh my gosh, this is a, as bad as it gets, but then when you really think about taking a third trimester infant who is perfectly viable, right? That child, you know, you could, um, uh, you know, give birth right away. You could induce birth. You could uh, bring that child uh, right uh, to another parent through adoption. Uh, uh, by the way, the adoption lists are like three years long. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's such a shortage of children out there. You could bring that child to a parent who truly would want uh, that child and then, um, uh, you know, uh, raise that child to do something that would be productive, something that would really build the kingdom of God. And, and you look at that and you go, why, why would you want to destroy that child, um, you know, in, in well, why would you want to destroy the mm -hmm. child, period? I mean, I mean, in the third trimester, are you kidding me? Uh, you don't have to have any imagination whatsoever to know that that child would live on his own or her own outside the womb. And so I'm just saying, right. you know, uh, it's uh, it's baffling to me. I think it's murder, I think it's, it's, it's palpable murder, you know, and why, why, you know, people don't get the connection right. uh, for the question ask her there um, you know I don't know I'm, I'm completely well, you know, <clears throat> baffled as a little, because they don't want to know that's right. why it's anecdotal but you know if it wasn't for 
uh, his mom, Aaron Judge's mom, who had him and yeah. gave him up for adoption, and he was adopted in an interracial, you know, with uh, actually a white couple adopted him. He would not be the uh -huh. person who hit 62 home runs this year uh, yeah. in, in the American League because his mother was willing to have Absolutely. him and, and give him life and put him up for adoption, and a loving couple was willing to raise him into the yeah. man and the athlete he is today. So we have to keep that in mind. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, it's all the, uh, you know, it happens all, all the time. Right. I mean, these, uh, you know, these people who were literally saved from abortion by right. the mother deciding at the last minute to have the child after right. she had been actively right. considering an abortion, and then, of course, raises the child who does really wonderful things, not just in, in athletics or acting, right. but also in uh, real educational work, academic work, uh, political work, social right. work, real heroes right. uh, that are well, out there, and this happens all, all right. the time. The founder of Apple was adopted. He was an adopted child, yeah. too. So. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Let's one last question before we go to the break. Dear Father Spitzer, I just read on CNA, Catholic News Agency, which EWTN operates, that mm -hmm. Georgetown University School of Medicine is teaching transgender medicine. It seems that most Catholic colleges teach all sorts of material the church has determined to be immoral. Can you explain how this can be, Walter? Well, Walter, I, I'm not sure about the allegation. I, I haven't read about it, but, but if if true, uh, that they are doing so, then I mean it would clearly, first of all, be against the church, uh, the church's teaching. Secondly, it would be teaching something I consider to be medically unethical. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I was uh, myself a professor at Georgetown. Uh, for a while, not at the medical school, of course, but uh, uh, you know, I, I you know I, I love the old uh, uh, beloved uh, uh, Georgetown University, the good mm -hmm. old Hoyas. But uh, at the same time, I must say, um, you know, in the same breath, this mm -hmm. is uh, uh, really extraordinary. And, and because of, as I talked about earlier in the program, the immorality of the issues that are up for grabs here, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the immorality of, of literally promoting something where substantial percentage of the population will consider uh, suicidality um, you know only only 10 years after the surgery is right. obtained because their anxieties are combined with buyer's remorse you look at that and you know right. that they're going to make a natural transition about 80 percent of the time or more without even therapy right. why in the world is uh, is George Shun doing this just you know skip the religious dimension why are they doing it on a moral dimension mm. it's so it's not just morally questionable it seems to me to be, you know, dem demonstrably morally, uh, you know, wrong from every, you know, from every Absolutely. point of view. I mean, from even a consequentialistic point of view. You don't have to be a deontologist, do you? You don't have to be a principle-based ethicist, right? You can just look at the consequences of this. It's horrible. Right. It's horrible for the child who now is a, a post-adolescent and is experiencing these suicidal feelings. It's horrible for the parents, in retrospect, who supported them, and now the child wants uh, to get uh, right. re, um, you know, uh, 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 transition, <laughs> mm -hmm. untransition. Un 
transitioned, um, and and uh, uh, you know the the parent has to live with the suicidal uh, requests of the child, right. et cetera, et cetera. This is terrible. Absolutely. This, you know, and it was all unnecessary, and and yeah. uh, uh, they were kind of pushed into it, uh, firmed into it, uh, uh, quote unquote. And so uh, you know, we've got a real problem here right. in the culture. That's why we're doing this with, program. But it has to be dealt with ethically. and we do all those other programs. And uh, some people are calling yeah. and they wanted to know they thought you were a Gonzaga fan, not a Hoya. But we'll be back after this. Oh, Much well, more ahead I with Father Spitzer's <laughs> universe right after this. Appreciate you staying with us for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. Satan appears as an angel of light from his book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. Taking your questions, uh, Father clarified during the break that he's equally in love with Georgetown and Gonzaga, so uh, we're, we've we settled that. So that's so people can the, the phones were lighting up there. So let's get back to uh, one of your questions here, dear Father Spitzer. I learned that Walmart advise their employees that they would pay for abortions in view of the new laws regarding this issue. What is our moral obligation regarding these stores and businesses? A lot of us shop at the local store like this, and we're, we're going by their word that it's Walmart, so just so you know, we, we didn't verify that. However, now we feel that we are contributing to this awful sin if we shop there. Soon we'll not be able to shop anywhere since we're conscious of so many businesses supporting abortions. Natalie, so what do we do with that when we know people are out front on things like that? Well, Natalie, it, it just depends on what kind of uh, sacrifice you, you need to make because, you know, Walmart uh, supporting an abortion is not you directly materially contributing to the abortion um, if you uh, go ahead and shop there. I mean, there's, you know, there's several spaces in between where there really is kind of a moral disconnection. You're not materially helping somebody uh, to get an abortion by shopping there. However, mm -hmm. I do think you can lodge a very good uh, ethical and social and even moral uh, protest mm -hmm. uh, against, uh, you know, I'm not going to say Walmart, I'll just say, you know, against a, a store that does do those kinds of things. Right. I know a lot of people, you know, who, who you know, uh, pick out various uh, uh, drive-throughs that they will not uh, support anymore um, that uh, have expensive coffees or something. I know a lot of people that uh, uh, don't support, um, uh, you know, uh, a kind of a Netflix kind of operation uh, because mm -hmm. they feel that Netflix is just pure and simple gone over the over the top you know with all its you know 13 reasons why to encourage young people yeah, to commit suicide stuff, right. and right. all their uh, you know uh, uh, you know encouragement of uh, uh, devilry and things and their uh, their um, you know uh, vampire programs that mm -hmm. uh, you know their various other kinds of things I mean there's a lot of people who do register what I call a protest but no I don't think mm -hmm. uh, you it, it, you are materially contributing to an abortion um, by um, shopping at Walmart. So you don't have to do it, but if you think that this would be a good thing to do to show mm -hmm. your solidarity uh, with the pro-life movement or something of that nature, uh, then I'd encourage you to do right. so, uh, especially if you're, you're not kind of forced uh, by you know economics to you know right. go ahead and shop there because 
you know, it's difficult for you to afford other places. In some ways, it's more upsetting to read that there's stories related to the military and the government where our tax dollars are being used, where these oh, kinds yeah. of uh, yeah. opportunities to fly people to California or some other state uh, to do it seems uh, to be uh, a misuse of people's tax dollars. Uh, up next, yep. dear Father Spitzer, the premise that humans are intrinsically distinct and separate from all other creatures seems constrained and uh -huh. boastful. Didn't St. Francis take a more humble and inclusive approach when pondering God's divine plan? Dave. Well, Dave, uh, you know, I think that's a, a nice uh, consideration, you know, that uh, animals are, of course, uh, very, very uh, much a part of God's plan um, to bring, uh, you know, the lovable, uh, you know, dimension of creation into the world, the mysterious dimension of creation into the world. However, that does not ignore the fact that, G that God did give human beings right there in Scripture, uh, made them in the image and likeness of himself. Mm -hmm. and and he didn't do that with other creatures. And that's very clear in our Catholic faith. And furthermore, when you start looking at the evidence, uh, you know, for, you know, uh, animal cognition on the chimpanzee level, and you start looking at that, yeah, chimpanzees don't have self-consciousness mm. like humans have self-consciousness. Uh, they don't have a, a series of things that humans can do to anticipate their future in the context of that future uh, to move um, their uh, their self-consciousness uh, in a past uh, all the way through a future in a transition and con uh, continuous way now that that doesn't you know uh, uh, that's just a fact right uh, you know There's animals don't have that right uh, the, it doesn't mean we don't love our animals it doesn't mean we don't care for the yeah. animals or any of those yeah Right. Yeah, exactly. and similarly with rational intelligence. Right. You know, well, let's face facts. Uh, human, I mean, animals just simply do not have what we call tactically significant language. It's mm -hmm. just the way it is. Uh, you know, the highest trained chimpanzee will never be able to do elementary syntax to distinguish between dog bites man and man bites dog. It's just right. never going to be able to do that simply because they don't form what we call abstract conceptual ideas. They have conceptual ideas that they can link to various uh, sensorial stimuli, mm -hmm. but they do not have conceptual ideas where they can talk abstractly about groups of things, mm -hmm. abstractly about mathematical operators, concepts, and, and so forth and so on. They don't have the mm -hmm. abstract ideas to talk about something metaphysical like God or the infinite or eternity or something of that nature. They just simply don't have abstraction. Well, if you don't mm -hmm. have abstraction and, and, and the ability to formulate conceptual ideas, mm -hmm. you'll never get a predicate, you'll never get a direct object, you'll never get an indirect object, you'll never get any part of speech except subjects. Mm -hmm. So you can just, you know, have, you know, an animal making a correlation between a banana and another sensorial banana, the word banana in, in human sign language, and, and a banana that's, you know, a rolled banana out mm -hmm. there, or between a rock or a man, or, you know, the, mo the motion of biting or something mm -hmm. of that nature. But alas, no syntax, no direct objects. I'm afraid there's going to be no abstract intelligence, and that's why we don't see abstract intelligence even in the most highly trained chimpanzees. I mean, this is not you know Spitzerian um, stuff. This is stuff that's, that's uh, put out by uh, very reasonable people. And you know, the, uh, there's a very good book put out by MIT Press uh, just a couple of years ago. 
by Robert Berwick at MIT and Noam Chomsky, perhaps the best known linguistic uh, philosopher in the world. And they, the name of the book is Why Only Us? Why only us to have tactic, a syntactically significant language? Why only us to have those uh, logical and mathematical operators? Why only us uh, uh, abil the ability to um, speak uh, meaningfully about something that has no necessary, necessary sensorial correlate? Why? Why only us. And, and why did that happen 60,000 years ago? In a word, because I think we have a soul. We have a transphysical soul capable of that operation. I do agree uh, with a variety of different scientists and philosophers, from Sir John uh, Eccles to, um, you know, uh, uh, all the uh, the uh, philosophers, uh, mm -hmm. analytical philosophers, who basically show uh, that you cannot reduce rational intelligence, conceptual operations, uh, to um, uh, to basically physical processes and structures. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, then you're going to need a transphysical operator, a transphysical agency, in order to do that, like a soul. Mm -hmm. I simply don't think chimpanzees, as lovable and nice as they are, they they don't have a soul. They are not made in the image and likeness of God. They don't do syntactically significant language. They don't do abstract mathematics. They don't do logic and metaphysics. They just don't. And so, you know, we we well, got to just recognize the difference. Right. Human beings are not just distinct from animals. They're categorically different from animals. That is to say, they're not, not like them. And, There's and a, a leap, not a, a jump. And that's not a matter of pride, which we'll get to in your book in a second. But one yeah. last question before yeah. we, we get into it. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, I've always been fascinated by the story in the Bible of Jesus casting demons out from a person into a herd of swine. Given Jewish prohibition of eating pork, why would they keep herds of swine? Also, the swine immediately kill themselves, mm -hmm. leading to a great financial loss for the farmer. This does not seem just. Yeah. Martin. <laughs> Martha? Was it? Martin. Martin. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, Martin, sorry. Uh, so, Martin, uh, I, I have to tell you uh, two things. First of all, um, this is probably not a Jewish population there, right? Jesus is probably in a more Gentile area, and, of course, uh, they would have herds of swine. Uh, we see, you know, the reference to swine, uh, for example, in the prodigal son story, that the boy goes out to a foreign land, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we probably figure that there's a large Gentile population uh, in the Gerasene and the Gerasene area. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing uh, to note. So yeah, it's not really Jewish people. The second thing um, to note is, you, you know, when uh, uh, Jesus gave, granted the request, um, you know, to do this, uh, you know, it, the, the, the demons did enter into the swine. It was a huge financial loss um, uh, to the people involved. And of course, these, these herds were not just one person. They belonged to multiple people. So it was a loss to many people. Uh, but I think there's three lessons I think that Jesus has in mind with it. The first thing is, is that the recovery of this man is worth more than all the money, as it were, in the world. He's uh -huh. rescued from not only Satan, but he's also rescued for, for the rest of his life, and Jesus is putting priorities in place. Number two, it is a big, huge sign. People may not like the sign, and that's why they said, hey, you know, don't come around here anymore, <laughs> right? You, you, we've seen enough. You know, we've got enough cost uh, going here. But uh, what they are asking, uh, what, but they saw the sign. They saw, oh, this guy has the power over evil. Now, therein lies the point at which to make the decision. Not the financial loss, but rather, 
Who is this guy? What's happening here? A person who has that kind of authority over evil, that kind of authority over a legion of evil spirits? Hey, who's he? And of course, that guy looks significant for my salvation. That guy mm -hmm. looks significant for goodness reigning in the world. But this is not what happens. Uh, mm -hmm. The decision is made on the basis of material comfort. Now you say, well, they were treated unjustly. I'm sure at the end of the day, though, that um, they, they had the resources to recover, but Jesus wanted to make a point. And boy, did he make a point. Mm -hmm. It's known everywhere in that region. Who is the boss over evil? Jesus Christ. Is there anybody like this guy before who ever did anything like this? No. Did Jesus Mark. feel it was worth it? Yes, he did. And so he asked a sacrifice from those Gentile farmers, and that was just and he, that. And he was Oftentimes you were asked. And he was granting yeah. the demon's wish, right? Isn't that what they wanted, right? He gave them what yeah, they wanted. they right? wanted it. Yep. So he gave them what they wanted. Yep. Let's get to Satan's tactics, uh, one of them can be obviously yeah. possessing people like that. You also talk about, interesting, page 258, about the idea with the angel of light, which is the topic we're talking about, that mm -hmm. you say seminarians are filled with good individuals who began their spiritual journeys with a genuine desire to serve God and others. They were moved by zeal for God's kingdom. They had genuine love of scripture, doctrine, tradition, and their intentions were reinforced by effective spiritual consolation. Then yeah. some years after entering the seminary, they discover in a remarkably lucid moment that they had a variety of ulterior motives for entering. Why did you want to make that yeah. point? Okay, you know, when you think about the angel of light, right, what it, why does the devil want to appear looking like a good angel, looking like an angel of light? Why would he want to do that? with, uh, you know, a pious proposal, something that looks good. Well, here's an illustration of it. You got a seminarian there, right? And he enters the seminary, and he's got filled with zeal to promote the kingdom of God, filled with zeal to do the good for his parishioners, you know, filled with zeal to evangelize the world for the kingdom and, and for his parishioners and for the church. And he's filled, you know, he wants to do something really good with his life. That's why he's going in there. Then he gets into the seminary, and as I said, in a lucid moment, he begins to think, well, you know, well, gosh, maybe, you know, I, I didn't like, you know, I majored in accounting and I didn't like accounting. Mm -hmm. Or, gee, you know, uh, maybe, uh, you know, I, I, I just uh, didn't want to be bothered with a social life and all the problems of dating. Or, gee, you know, maybe I blah, 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 blah. And he thinks of some ulterior motives mm -hmm. for why he... Um, join the seminary. Now what the devil's going to do is he's going to say, see, that was the real reason you entered. You had no such intention of zealously trying to promote the kingdom of God, of trying to get out there and make a difference to people and do the good for them and give yourself over to a life of, of uh, relative poverty, you know, so that you could basically help these people and day and night be on call for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't your reason, you little wimp. 
you did it because you didn't like accounting. I don't know. You right. did it because whatever ulterior motive, you know, you could think of. And then so he stokes it and stokes it. And then the next thing you know, I mean, this happens all the time. In comes the, the seminarian to the superior of the seminary, and he goes, you know, I just want to be authentic. Mm -hmm. I mean, you hear that word, you know, mm -hmm. coming out of that mouth? Mm -hmm. That's the devil's word, right? Mm -hmm. I just want to be authentic. You know, now that I've thought about it, the real reason that I entered the seminary was because of all these ulterior motives. And of course, the rector has heard this a hundred times before. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so you did this solely for the negative reasons, right? Yes, I think so. I'm just trying to be really truthful to myself. Mm -hmm. I, I would just, if I were the rector, I'd pick up the old, you know, um, uh, you know, letters of St. Paul and read the passage right there. And the devil appears as an angel of light. I'd take out the spiritual exercise. I'd read that passage right out of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He can't get you by tempting you to sin, so he's going to make you more authentic, right? The mm -hmm. angel of light, good angel. I'm just trying to help your authenticity. I'm just trying to make you a little bit better than you thought you might be. And here it is. Mm -hmm. Admit why you really entered. And then he kind of exaggerates the negative, right. pushes back the positive. And of course, St. Ignatius says, don't ever do that. Never, ever leave a religious vocation that when you entered, you were filled with zeal and desire to help God and the people of God. And now you suddenly get this insight that you were just uh, entering for negative reasons. Don't do that. You're just submitting yourself to the devil coming as an angel. He can't get you the other direct hmm. way, right? So he can't get you by uh, thinking about greed or lust or power or ego comparative identity or pride. Okay, uh, now he's going to go after the, you should be more authentic routine. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's the reason uh, I, I mention it because it's so typical. It, it just happens so often and you, these poor guys get sucker punched right, right. Uh, by the evil spirit. Well, they're people not used start to second guessing themselves, like you said, and overthinking everything oh, yeah. and looking for other reasons and there's there's always yep. multiple reasons of everything we do in in life. There Everybody's might be got ulterior motives. Right, Absolute. exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Everybody's got ulterior motives. And that's so, why you, you make know, the but point. when you pull them out. Right, and that's why you yeah. say with Ignatius that that the key word is wait. Yeah. Wait, right? Exactly. Don't don't give up wait. something where you really believe something just because now you have some second yeah. thoughts. Yeah, and when you're waiting, just reflect for yourself. Hey, is this really what I felt like when I entered? Mm -hmm. You know, didn't I feel a little bit of consolation about going in there to help the people of God and to help God himself and to help the kingdom of God? Come on. I mean, isn't that, you know, and of course, you know, you're, the minute you start thinking back and you get out of the blur of the evil spirit putting all this stuff in front of you, you go, oh, yeah. That was the real me. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know why I said the other. You know, of course I had those ulterior motives. I admit that. But that wasn't my real reason. You know, my real reason was, you know, I wanted to help the people of God. You know, and uh, I, I was very lucky myself because, you know, I, I, you know, I had to wrestle with trying to push that desire down mm -hmm. to be a priest because I, I didn't want to encounter 
some resistance from my family, uh, my mm. not my mom, uh, but from my dad, and and uh, you know, and also uh, I just wanted to, uh, you know, see if I could take over my dad's law firm, and I really did mm. want to be married. Mm. You know, I mean, I you know, my dad always told me I could have never been happy without being married to your mom and so mm. forth, and I, I, you know, I knew I knew that, and you know, so I, I sort of said, okay, I'll be a deacon, you know. Mm. So I went through all these things, and you know. Uh, you know, I could then, you know, be a lawyer, and then mm -hmm. after I got married, you know, I could, you know, take over my dad's law firm, and then, you know, then I could be a deacon, and mm -hmm. I could keep my, uh, you know, my career and my family, and like I said, finally, I'm going out of St. Al's one day, uh, this big, huge church that was next to, you know, I went to school at Gonzaga there, mm -hmm. and uh, so I'm coming out of uh, St. Al's, and uh, I caught right out of the corner of my eye, I caught this book on priesthood. Mm. And it was a little pamphlet there. It was only about uh, 50, 60 pages or something. Mm. A lot of pictures and so forth on being a priest. Mm. And half my mind just said, oh, do not pick up that pamphlet. <laughs> the other half said, oh, pick up that pamphlet. Take a look. It might be interesting. You know, and so, of course, I picked it up, read through the whole pamphlet in the back of the church. and. I just said, this is where I'm being called. What am really? I doing? You know, mm -hmm. I'm doing the halfway measure. I'm I'm going. I'm going to do it. And uh, you know, I made up my mind. Mm -hmm. And uh, but you know, if I hadn't struggled to repress that thing, I could easily see myself in a seminary going, oh yeah, the real reason was, mm -hmm. you know, and some ulterior motives listed off, or you know, I didn't like my last two accounting clients when I was <laughs> working in the accounting firm, and that was the real reason why I, I joined or something, you know, and I, by the way, I, I, I liked my last two clients, right. okay. but uh, so uh, for my last two clients, by the way, I, I, li I liked you guys. So, uh, but the, right. the point I'm trying to, to make is, uh, you know, you can think of just about anything, right. um, you know, and uh, and you, uh, you know, uh, come up with this about anything. Right. So, <laughs> talk well, yourself I'm, out of I it. Remember Devil's what I, very ingenious. Right. When I was in New York <laughs> and I was leaving uh, where I was working to come here, and uh, a friend of mine yeah. said, can't you just do this stuff on the weekends? Said, well, what are you doing, you know? <laughs> what are you, why are you throwing your career away? And I'm like, I, I wish it worked that way. It doesn't seem to work that way. So, uh, no. <laughs> so no. just before we go, I thought this was a good point yeah. you make, which is that uh, it's not necessarily, freq uh, not necessarily frequently needed to give up a pious intention, but only ratchet it down several notches if you feel like maybe you're putting too much pressure on yourself and you're and you being given the angel yeah. light telling you hey you need to be doing a little better yeah. here like you've said before. Right? Oh, that, that, oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's it. Uh, I think the ratcheting down is the main thing. And, you know, when I was, uh, you know, going through my own formation, oh, my gosh, you know, the, the temptations towards scrupulosity, not that I ever went that direction. I, you know, I, I basically could, you know, keep it under control. Mm -hmm. But the devil's constantly out there, and he's constantly saying, you are so imperfect. Who do you think you are trying to be a priest? You know, just, you know, look at you, you greedy, egotistical, pride-filled rat. And I'd have to admit, yeah, well, I am kind of a greedy, egotistical, pride-filled rat. Now what? You know, and so, of course, uh, uh, you know, the, the devil comes in and goes, faster, harder, better, more. That's what's needed here. And of course, all I can tell you is when you hear those words, mm -hmm. faster, better, harder, more, 
and you're trying your dang level best to try and you know become as virtuous as you can and you know obviously we're gonna fail obviously we've got years of habits built up obviously we have intrinsic natural uh, tendencies that we have to get control over and right. so forth and so on these things you're gonna fail in many respects and by the way egocentricity is the hardest thing to get around and as you can see from my own rhetoric egocentricity right. is still a problem and we're gonna have to but the point leave talking about vainglory until the next time we get together and that's what we're going to be focusing <laughs> right. on I can't uh, I can't miss your chapter which has to do with uh, Sunset Boulevard so we'll talk about that if you'll give us a uh, oh, yeah. your blessing on the way <laughs> out the door that'd be great and bow your heads and pray for God's blessing and may the Lord of true wisdom and consolation the Lord who is looking for your salvation in his unconditional love and joy may the Lord who is truly good through and through give you the wisdom and the strength the perception to follow his lead in morality in religion in all of those things which lead to the fullness of light and life in his son Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. We shall see you next week. Be well, and don't forget that all of Father Spitzer's books and materials, DVDs, etc., are all through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com. Next week, we'll continue with Satan appearing as an angel of light, and talking about vainglory. And this weekend, I did a fine interview, hopefully a fine interview, a great interview with Father Wojciech Giertik, The Mystery of Divine Love. It's a fine book. I don't know about the interview, and he's a great guest. And we've got a novena to the Mother of God for the Nation, uh, Sunday, October 30th through Monday, November 7th, every day after the daily Mass at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Meditations written by the late, great Father Frederick Miller, a mentor to many of our priests, great man. And you can download the ebook with all the prayers for the novena at EW10.com, a wonderful book. You can get the ebook. I'm Doug Keck. Thank you so much for joining us. We shall see you next time in Father Spitzer's Universe. <laughs>